Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From MCIE. Inclusive education should be hashtag nothing special. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation, we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability justice advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. Oakley Thiele is a disability rights activist, writer, and protest artist whose work chronicles life from the disabled perspective and addresses systemic discrimination within academic and artistic institutions. She is the co-founder and director for the My Dearest Friends Project, an international art collaboration that archives, illustrates, and amplifies stories of disability culture and community. With her husband, she hosts Tethered Together, a podcast and blog that documents their interabled relationship and her life with Tethered Cord Syndrome. Lawrence Carter Long's lifetime of advocacy combines a unique blend of the arts, public policy, and popular culture. Formerly the communications lead for the National Council on Disability, an independent federal agency during the Obama administration, Lawrence joined DisArt as the Director of Discourse and Development in June 2022. In this episode, Oakley and Lawrence discuss the My Dearest Friends Project and its connection to the Nothing Special campaign. Oakley shares her personal experience of facing ableism and inaccessibility at her college, highlighting the need for change in educational institutions. Lawrence emphasizes the importance of listening to disabled people and involving them in the decision-making process to create truly inclusive environments. Before we get into today's interview, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Together Letters. Are you tired of social media? Together Letters is a tool that can help. It's a group email newsletter that asks its members for updates and combines them into a single newsletter for everyone. All you need is email. We are using Together Letters so Think Inclusive patrons can stay in touch. Groups of 10 or less are free, and you can sign up at togetherletters.com. 
And now my interview with Oakley Thiele and Lawrence Carter Long. Oakley Thiele and Lawrence Carter Long, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I originally reached out to Oakley uh, for a potential interview when I heard about the Nothing Special project. And so um, Oakley or Lawrence, could you explain to our audience what that is and the connection between that and um, My Dearest Friends Project, Disart? Like, how does it all work together? Yeah. So in March of 2020, uh, Disart and I co-founded the My Dearest Friends Project together. Um, We saw this common problem at, you know, the start of the pandemic throughout the whole pandemic where um, the media was talking about disabled people, but we didn't feel like they were talking to disabled people. And so um, this sort of approached me to try to figure out a way to build a public platform where disabled people could come and share their stories and their experiences. Um, we wanted to figure out a way to archive the COVID-19 pandemic from the disabled perspective. Um, and so after a little bit of brainstorming, I eventually wrote the very first My Dearest Friends poem. It started off with the words, My Dearest Friends, and it just talked about, you know, um, wanting to build a more accessible world, a world for everyone, a world for us. And I just signed it off with my first name because it really was this sort of vowed to my community, to my disabled friends and the people that um, I wanted to build this platform for. So I felt like my first name was really just enough. I was writing to my friends. Um, And so we posted, you know, an open call out on Instagram, um, urging disabled people to sort of respond in their own way to write their own dearest friends poems. Um, And so having dearest friends virtually on Instagram really allowed disabled people to connect in a safe and accessible way. Um, we were able to sort of find comfort and support um, in our shared experiences. And the stories that people were submitting to Dearest Friends were so diverse. Um, a lot of um, stories of, you know, happiness and successes. But then there was also a lot of fear and um, worry around the pandemic. Um, and over time, Dearest Friends has handled a lot of difficult topics. Um, we've talked about the COVID-19 pandemic, um, mental health, accessibility in schools. So we we archive, illustrate, and share every single story that we get. Um, sometimes we'll expand past Instagram and bring these spaces, these stories into the physical realm, um, where we'll build um, vinyl, uh, we'll build um, dearest friends exhibitions in person um, using the vinyl prints of the charcoal drawings, and that gets installed in various institutions around the Grand Rapids area. Um, so one of the latest topics that we've tackled um, centered on the hashtag nothing special, which is where you eventually found us. Um, but Lawrence actually came up with the hashtag for this campaign. So if you want to talk about hashtag nothing special, Lawrence. Yeah. It, you know, these days, everything begins with a hashtag. Right. <laughs> and and um, I think since Disart began in 2014, one of the guiding principles shared by our founders Chris Smith and Jill Venn has been really to serve as an incubator for artists and for ideas. And so what that means, practically speaking, is that everything that this art does begins and ends with relationship. Everybody starts where they are and we embark 
on a journey together. Now, sometimes we don't know where we're going to end up, and we don't know how we're going to get there, but the starting point is that we're on this journey together. And, and the same is true for the hashtag, nothing special. When Oakley brought her experience to us, we started thinking about and talking about what was happening in the edu educational system, right? It was very clear that, that there needed to be a way to kind of unify and bring these concepts together that were easily understood and that people could kind of grasp, and that could be a leaping off point for us. So, so we felt right away that we needed to reinforce ideas that inclusive educators have been talking about for decades now, and, and basically saying that inclusive education should be the norm, not something that we think of as special. Ideally, right, in a perfect world, it would be a given. It would be matter of fact, right? And so what we wanted to do with the hashtag and, and the way we created it, the way that it's been used is to, is to use it kind of as a vehicle uh, to help us get closer to that goal in a way that's easy to grasp and understand and to act on. Uh, Oakley, why was this particular idea of hashtag nothing special important to you personally? Um, yeah, so 2020 was the year that I got accepted into my dream college, which was the Cooper Union. Um, and it was also the year that I began to have physical health issues. Um, and so I dealt with all kinds of things while going to the Cooper Union. Um, I got stuck in the bathroom because my wheelchair couldn't fit in. Um, I could get my wheelchair into the bathroom, but I couldn't turn around and I couldn't get out. Um, and that bathroom was labeled as accessible. So that was crazy to me. But um, in that bathroom, I was like, like praying for somebody to find me because I really needed help, but also praying that nobody found me because it was completely humiliating. I ended up trying not to go to the bathroom while at school because it wasn't accessible. And that's incredibly hard to do because I had a spinal condition, because I was having bladder issues. Um, I ended up missing classes because the elevators would constantly break down. Um, I even had to drop some classes because um, the classrooms just weren't accessible. They could not accommodate my wheelchair. And the school solution was to have me switch out or to have me do independent studies. Um, but the scariest thing about the lack, um, the scariest thing for me was the lack of an accessible evacuation plan. Um, so I, since I got my wheelchair, I had been begging the Cooper Union to, you know, figure out an accessible fire escape plan for me. Um, I was like, I don't know what to do in a fire, but I cannot take the stairs. Um, and it took me like repeatedly asking them over and over and over again, what are you going to do about this? Um, they eventually came back to me and they said, well, our solution is to have you and your wheelchair and your service dog just sit and wait in the stairwell and we'll like send somebody to come get help. And uh, sorry, I'm getting a little, I'm like shaking right now because it's, it was, how do I say it? Um, it was a very humiliating and dehumanizing experience um being told to just sit there in the stairwell and wait and to put my life in their hands i mean the whole school year the school showed me that they did not care about disabled students um because if they cared about me they would fix their bathrooms they would make sure that their classes are accessible um they would listen when i reported these ableist comments made by their staff and they did none of that um so if that's how they treated me on a daily basis, how could I trust them to remember me in a state of emergency? Um, 
during these fire drills, I would just have to sit in the stairwell and watch as the able-bodied students would rush down to safety. And I began to develop a lot of anxiety about dying in college, not because I had chronic health conditions, but because my school was severely inaccessible. Um, Currently, I'm on a medical leave, and I'm honestly not sure if I will ever return to the Cooper Union just because of how intensely inaccessible and ableist they were. Um, So I I just I didn't understand how critical accessibility was until I needed my school to be accessible for me. Um, But yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And how disappointing to be so excited about being a part of a community and in wanting to belong and and yet in everything that they they did with you know their how they structured their buildings to their you know uh, safety protocols um a complete disregard for your safety right so how how do you feel like how do you feel like you're a member of that community when it, when they do that right i one thing that i would like to add is that like i was i was in shock when the cooper union came to me and said you know you can just sit and wait in the stairwell um, and then when I started to do some research on it, I realized that this is not just an isolated thing. This is not like some crazy idea that the Cooper Union came up all, all by themselves. This is a solution that institutions all across the country tell their disabled students. This is a very common protocol to have disabled students sit in the stairwell. And when I told the Cooper Union, you know, this is dehumanizing. This is awful. This is not OK. They were like, well, it's it's happening all over the country. This is how we all do it. Um, and that's when like whole systems need to change. It's just you can't just leave it like, oh, this is how we've done it always. Doesn't mean that it's right. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that was. Well, and l- let me so l- let me connect that for our listeners too. you know, who are interested in in inclusive systems, inclusive schools, you know, when a system says, well, this is just how we've done it. This is how. This is how we've done it and it's happening all over the country. So like, why should we change? That's exactly the same argument for segregated classrooms, mm-hmm. you know, for segregated schools, uh, disability specific programs. Well, it's happening all over the country. This is how we do it. What's wrong with it, right? There, there's no one that's challenging that that line of thinking. So, uh, uh, Lawrence, I wanted to ask you too, um, about nothing special. Why? Why is that message important to you? Variety of ways, um, and for a variety of reasons. You know, in a previous lifetime, prior to coming to Disart in June of 2022, um, I worked for the federal government for seven years under the Obama administration. I was the director of communications for the National Council on Disability. Now, the National Council on Disability um, was the remains an independent federal agency. Right. And so the mandate for the agency is to recommend federal disability policy to the president, to the Congress, to other federal agencies. It is a wide, it is a broad mandate. And, and so when I went into that role, I went into that role as an advocate. Right. And then all of a sudden I was a public servant and I learned a lot in my seven years in the federal government. And, and so my inclination based on that experience is to is to take those personal stories like Oakley just shared, right? And do exactly what she does. I started thinking, well, what does this mean? What is the scale? What is the scope? How many students are we talking about? Right? It was very clear 
that in this instance, like every instance, whether you want it to be or not, the personal is political, right? So if I can get granular for a minute, right, to talk about the, the scale and the scope, there's a report that was released last year called The Condition of Education. And in that data from the U.S. Department of Education, right, so federal agency, found that in the 2020 to 2021 school year, 7.2 million students with disabilities were served under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, right, or what we commonly call IDEA. And so that data point is based on preliminary enrollment data, and the report says, well, that's about 15% of all 49.4 million public school students for that year. That's the most recent data we have, 2020 to 2021. Now, anybody who stops and thinks about it for a moment is going to quickly realize that that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? That's the data that we record. That's the data that we gather. That's what we ask for. And that's what we as a, as a country accumulate. But I went through grade school, middle school, high school, and college, and had never been in a special ed classroom that entire time, right? The nature of my disability, I happen to have cerebral palsy, I'd been disabled my entire life, but I wouldn't have been counted by any of that, those data sets, any of those figures. And so it was very clear to me that there are a lot of people out there who were in some ways being served and other ways weren't being served, who certainly weren't being counted. And so, you know, we, we know that art isn't separate from discrimination or legislation or perception. And so the campaign for me is really a way that we can kind of fundamentally serve justice and, and support and rally behind the belief that all of those students deserve an education and they all deserve to get their needs met as seamlessly as possible. So ultimately, you know, you shouldn't have to advocate for your life just to get into your classroom or just to get out of your classroom, right? And that's the situation that Oakley was faced with. And it was clear to us when talking about it, that this was also a situation that other students were facing too. And we felt that it was really important. What we learned from My Dearest Friends, the collaboration on My Dearest Friends, is that what affects one affects all. What harms one harms all. And so if we could put kind of a focal point on those issues, um, um, then maybe we could change that system, which is causing all that stress and all that necessary, unnecessary distress. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
when we started using the hashtag, the idea was, was I think initially just to start collecting those stories, just to give students space to like express what they were facing, to share their reality, to hopefully begin to build some tension and some pushback against it. That was the first phase, right? I think what we're doing now is we're realizing as a result of the feedback that we got um, that we probably need to build a My Dearest Friends um, curriculum, right? And, and that that needs to sort of bake in the nothing special idea. So we, we're thinking this is the perfect time to sort of build that. And one of the reasons that we want, that we're so happy to talk to you and to think inclusive is that we want you to help us build it. We need you to help us build it, right? So the next phase will take shape depending on what people start sending to us and what people start saying in terms of what are the best practices? What do we need to do? Where are the pressure points in terms of either advocacy or public policy um, and those ideas? So I think the, 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 what, where we're at right now is we need to accumulate more data, you know, and we can expand that sort of beyond where it began and then take that data back and assess it and process it and figure out what to do with it um, in order to really help build that next phase. Because like I said, everything that we do is built on relationship and is mm. based on a collaboration. So we really invite people to reach out to us, right? You can either go to, to either of the websites, the My Dearest Friends Project website or the thisartnow.org um, website, um, or to write us at hello at mydearestfriendsproject.org. Again, that's hello at mydearestfriendsproject.org and tell us what you'd like us to do with the project and what kind of things we need to really bake into that curriculum that we're creating. So you're really looking for, uh, well, I think that you're looking for a, a lot of different things, but specifically stories of, of disabled people, disabled learners who, whether it's a positive or not so positive experience relating to that nothing special idea. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, disabled students or even disabled professors and educators. For the longest time, I was dealing with this ableism and this inaccessibility at the Cooper Union by myself. I was, you know, battling the school by myself. And I felt for like, I felt like I was the only one. I felt that these experiences were specific to me and because my school was bad. And when we started to collect these stories, from hashtag nothing special, it I really quickly started to realize that like these experiences are happening in almost all the schools. It's happening all over the place. Um, and so that was extremely helpful to be able to hear from other members of the community, both educators and students. Is there a story that you can share with with uh, our listeners that can give them an example of what are the types of stories you're talking about? Um uh, that you received when you made the call to, you know, ask about nothing special, hashtag nothing special. I can tell you one that comes immediately to, to my mind. Um, you know, actor Danny Woodburn, who mm -hmm. a lot of folks know as Mickey on the Seinfeld television series, sent in um, an anecdote from his time in college, I think in the Philadelphia area. And one of the things that he talked about in his experience was that 
often he had to get all the way across campus, which was difficult for him. And he instantly kind of noticed um, a, a classmate who was a wheelchair user and had an electric wheelchair. And Danny would um, hop on the back of his classmate's electric wheelchair, and that, that classmate would then zoom across campus um, where they had a, another class sort of on that side of, of things um, to get Danny to class on time. And so one of the reasons that I love that story, right, is it, it not only talks about, um, you know, those situations where we bond with other classmates and, and as we learn and grow in college, um, not as a negative, right, but as a positive. You know, that was an organic way that Danny discovered community and solidarity, right? And so in sharing that story, hopefully it gives other students at similar points in their lives and in their educational career, you know, ideas about who they can connect with and how they can grow and how they can leverage actually their experience of disability or their, or their, their ways of sort of adapting to a to an, uh, non-inclusive world in order to kind of get ahead. Right. And, and I'm just so jazzed by that because even though I've identified as disabled my entire life, like I said, I've had cerebral palsy since birth. I didn't get involved with disability community until I was 35 years old. And, you know, what if I had had those kind of connections, those kind of experiences at earlier ages from the age of five? How would my life be different? How would I have a better understanding of disability culture and disability history and disability community? And so there are all these things that didn't happen to me until late in life. And I think part of what we're trying to do is sort of get past that internalized ableism and all those barriers that are sort of placed in, in people's way just by thinking, right? I grew up in the 1970s, I'll date myself, but the emphasis then was to be as normal as humanly possible. And I just did normal uh, in air quotes there. Well, what does that translate to? That translates to basically non-disabled, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. it wasn't until I realized that having a disability was my normal, that my relationship with it changed and the world started to open up. So I think one of the things that we'd like to do is push back against um, all forms of ableism, both external and internal, and help people make those connections sooner um, so that they can live their lives differently sooner by getting connected. So uh, this submission is already up on the Instagram. This one says, my dearest friends, you have no idea how glad I am that you were patient, that you repeated yourself over and over so that I could understand you through the mask, that you texted me what the teacher said so that I would know what the assignment was and when it was due, that you helped me lobby for my accommodations and that you tried to help me find the word when I was reaching and failed to catch it. Thank you. You were so much more help than the administration, Leno. Um, what I love about this submission is that it focuses on the positive instead of the negative. I think when we start talking about accessibility and inaccessibility in the schools, it is very easy to go towards the negative part of things. Um, and it, it is really easy for me to list off all these negative things that happened um, at my school. But there were also so many positive things that were happening. I mean, I remember going into English class and my professor there would get to school early and she would rearrange the desk and remove the chair from my desk so that I could easily and independently just slide my wheelchair in and sit down. Um, and I don't think she quite understood the significance of that very, very small action because her class became this sort of safe place for me where I knew that I could 
I could leave all of the ableism that was happening and the rest of the institution behind and I can go into that space and be accommodated and feel safe and feel like my perspective as a disabled person was valued. Um, and so I had a lot of the professors really step up in their own little ways and sort of um, help me out that way. So there's definitely a lot of different positive things happening as well. I, I love that story. I love what you just shared, but also the, the story that, uh, from Instagram, because it shows that, yes, we need systems to change. Yes, we need school leaders and state leaders and federal leaders to say we we need to improve uh, the educational system for all learners. But it also shows that you can do things right now today to make an environment more accessible. Um, for 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 everyone, and that those little choices that you make, like your professor and like um, the experience that the person on Instagram was talking about, you know, all those things, no one mandated that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, those were all personal choices, and so that is how we can fight this idea that you know we need separate spaces for people. Mm -hmm. Why wait? <laughs> right? I I think the. Um... The, what sort of guides me in this whole process is that if, if there's a situation or a circumstance where we can be more patient, where we can pause, where we can slow down and take into consideration just what that person's needs are, you know, and that they're nothing special. And then it's just this human being talking to that human being. Um, um, that benefits the whole world, right? That makes me a better person just because I'm listening. Um, um, and, and I think it helps others feel heard, um, which is, I think, really important, um, especially in the world that we're at today. So I think it's those kinds of like one-on-one -on -one connections, that kind of deliberate, um, um, very mindful, um, approach to our interactions that eventually will get the decision makers, hopefully the decision makers and the elected officials and, and public servants and all of the above, um, into the kind of mindset where they will indeed make those changes and put them into law. So there are resources on the My Dearest Friends Project website right now that that uh, educators can use. So how do you envision educators using those resources? So we've learned a lot from what we've done with My Dearest Friends Project. So I'm thinking maybe, Oakley, this would be a good time to talk about um, some of the partnerships, like with the Grand Rapids Children's Museum and how that evolved um, um, and brought people into the process. I think one of the biggest things for educators, if you're sort of looking to use the Dearest Friends Project, is simply reading the stories, um, going to disabled students, talking to disabled students, asking what their access needs are. The best way to understand how to make your classroom more accessible is to simply ask us what our access needs are. Talk to the disabled person um, directly. I it's think. impossible to reinforce that enough. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. I agree. I, it cannot be reinforced enough because institutions must account for the disability community. They can't just accommodate us. They must account for us. They, accessibility should be not this like afterthought that's tagged on after the institution is established or after your classroom is established. It must be woven into the foundations of the institution from the very start. Um, and the best way to do that, I think, would be to listen to disabled people. Um, the ways that we, um, I, I see it happen all the time where, you know, the Dearest Friends Project will um, partner with an institution like the Grand Rapids Art Museum or the Grand Rapids Children's Museum. And it's sort of um, 
I guess, starts conversations um, and allows us to sort of build up that safe space for questions to be asked that aren't normally asked, whether it's because um, they're scared of being offensive or any of that. Like we can kind of build up that safe space, I guess. There's a lot of different ways to deliver a message. You know, it could be a blog post. It could be a podcast. It could be, you know, it could be an art piece, whether that's illustration, painting, you know, dance, music, however you want to say it. There's a lot of different ways to convey that. But what are really what initially drew me to this project was that it was artistic expression. Mm-hmm. And I think that that there's a there's a huge um, gap with that type of medium and the connection between uh, like disability rights and inclusion, especially inclusive education. So that's why I think this is so unique to me is that, you know, there's there's hundreds of blog posts about why inclusive education is important. And, you know, fortunately, there's there's a lot more podcasts that are talking about it right now. So th- that's great. But I never see art that delivers that message ever. <laughs> so um, I don't know, maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but that that's what speaks to me. For, for me, it was like a very natural step to sort of choose to like work in a medium like that. I am an artist. Um, I also have a very short attention span, like reading really long blog posts or listening to really long podcasts can be very hard for me. I like to do like very quick things. I mean, even the sketches for Dearest Friends, they're very, very quick gesture drawings. And then I move on to the next one. Um, But kind of going off of what I was just talking about, especially for Dearest Friends, I mean, Dearest Friends was made by the disability community for the disability community. And it was it's got accessibility and inclusion made in its core. That's like the very first thing that we were thinking about when we created this project. And so sort of developing that dearest friend style and the way that I create these images, it all came down to accessibility for me. Um, Of course, this project was started during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that was when, you know, we were being told to stay inside to help prevent the spread of it. Um, so I was not ever, I did not want to try to go out and expose myself and expose my disabled friends. Um, so I had to try to find, um, materials that were read, like in my house that I had a lot of, cause I knew I was going to be doing a lot of, um, a lot of work on this. And so I came up with computer paper and a charcoal stick. And that's what I've used throughout the entire pandemic. That's what I continue to use now is this whole stack of computer paper. By having that black and white contrast, um, it, it's easier for people to see. So random thought is, are you um, available for hire? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I do take commissions. I do. Uh, okay. Okay. Not all the time. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to consider. So whether either whether that's for us or whether that's for anyone listening, uh, you know, to make sure that, you know, because I think that, you know, your style is really, it's great. That's great. I love it. I'm really happy to to share. We'll make sure to make sure to we will make sure to share uh, your pieces, you know, on social media and stuff like that. Um, so as as we're kind of wrapping up, um, you know, what are what do you envision? Like, what's kind of your dream for this project? You know, you talked about you don't have to talk about curriculum, so this is like not like I'm tr- really trying not to lead you, but so however you want to talk about the dream for my dearest friends uh, project, like. Where would you eventually like to see it go or, you know, what, what are your goals for that? So I have, I am, I'm a young artist. Um, I'm at the very beginning of my career and 
I have never done like this doing Dearest Friends. This is like the very first time I've done something of this scale, um, working with an organization like this. Um, and going back to what Lauren said about Disart being this incubator, um, for the longest time, all I wanted to do was just be able to work with Disart. Like as a disabled artist, that was my dream to be able to partner with Disart and do something with them because they just seemed like such an incredible organization. I never, ever expected it to sort of build up to such a scale that it is at right now. Um, so it's very hard for me to be like, what are my next steps? I never expected to get here to begin with. So I never expected to work with Disart to begin with. So I was like, ah, um, uh, next steps. I kind of just, I kind of just taken feedback from the disability community. I really want this to be as collaborative as possible. Um, the next steps really come from, you know, the partners that approach us, the, the people that we approach, um, and sort of listening to the disability community and what they want to talk about, what we need to talk about. Um, and it just sort of kind of, it's been unfolding naturally. And that's just how I've been sort of letting it go, I guess. Awesome. And I would, I would, I would, I would add, um, basically listen to that impulse, right? So if anything that anybody here in the course of this conversation, we've been, um, lucky enough to have, right. And, and granted the opportunity to have, if there's something in that that sparks an idea, if a lightning bulb hits you or a lightning bulb goes off inside your head, listen to that, follow that, pursue that, right? I, I, you know, um, I come at this work as both an advocate and an artist. Um, uh, I didn't start doing modern dance until a choreographer by the name of Heidi Latsky saw the way that I walked and said, whoa, I can't move like you. Let's collaborate. Let's go conspire, right? And then next thing I knew, I was a modern dancer. You know, and because you're not going to do classical ballet with the way that I move. And and that really shifted the trajectory of my life. Part of the reason, a big part of the reason that I transitioned to start working with this art is to help facilitate situations and opportunities so that more people can have that happen to them sooner. Um, um, you know, why was it that somebody else who's non-disabled saw me move and said, that's dance to me. I want to make a piece with that. I don't want to create with that, right? Disabled folks should be having those opportunities and having those ideas themselves from birth, from the beginning, right? And, and so, so unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. And so I, I think the most important thing that people can do is if they got, if they got an impulse, if any of this jazzes them, if any of this is something that they get excited by, then reach out. Then, then, you know, that's why we're here. This art isn't, as I said, an incubator and we want to support artists and we want to support projects that really make people's hearts sing and their souls rise. And, and, and so we're open to any and all ideas, you know? So, so if, if, if something about this grabs you and you see yourself in a new light or you've never had the opportunity to pursue a dream that you had when you were five years old, talk to us. Let's create it. Let's do it, you know, and we'll find a way to do it, um, whether it's in, in, you know, Michigan, where, where Disart was sort of founded and based, or across the country, you know, because of the pandemic, um, I was able to start uh, employment with Disart after being on their board, and I'm in Oakland, California, right? So, so geographic boundaries and zip codes um, are not limitations for us. I, we see them as opportunities. Oakley Thiele and Lawrence Carter-Long, thank you so much for being on the Thinking Inclusive podcast. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. 
Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. Attention, school leaders. Did you know that you can team up with the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education to promote inclusive practices in your school or district, regardless of your location? MCIE has partners in Maryland, Illinois, Virginia, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and more joining us in this work. Our goal is to expand partnerships in every state in the United States and beyond. The first step is to start a conversation with us. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Visit our contact page at mcie.org slash contact and let us know that you want to transform your educational services to be inclusive of all learners. A special thanks to our patrons, Kathleen T, Gabby M, Melissa H, Mark C, Kathy B, Joyner E, Jarrett T, Aaron P, and Carol Q for their support of Think Inclusive. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works.